This episode of the Stock Market Movers podcast is brought to you by Calamaro St. Helier's, the best pizza in Auckland. Head down this weekend and you'll get to talk to me because I'm working. That is Calamaro, C-A-L-I-M-E-R-O, 59 Long Drive, St. Helier's. It is Saturday, the 16th of November, 2019. My name is Jeremy Medlin, and welcome to episode 66 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice, and if you're looking for financial advice, I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. How do you like a Saturday morning episode? It it turns out I quite like them a lot because I'm doing another one. (laughs) Maybe something that we continue with. So you'll remember a few episodes back when I talked about the takeover of New Zealand oil and gas. I've not listened back to it to to sort of quote exactly what I said, but I remember saying something along the lines that it will almost certainly go through because there's a dominant majority shareholder. Well, I was wrong about that. I never actually fully read the full scheme document, and as it turns out, to proceed, the scheme required 75% of the votes cast by the minority shareholders to be in favour of it, as opposed to just the, the dominant shareholder. It's one of those situations where the minority votes seem to count more than the dominant votes. I'm not sure if I agree with it, but it's the way it was. So before I comment on that, it just goes to context what I say at the start of the show. Nothing that I say say should be considered financial advice. I do not recommend that you do anything from what you hear on the podcast. Um, take any actions or, or, or anything like that. The way I would listen to it, and it's how I listen to other investing podcasts, is it's just something to fill in time when, something in a topic that you're interested in to fill in time when I'm when I'm driving or, or going for walks or something else mundane like that. It's not some podcasts are not something that I use to get, I guess, investing information from. You might hear something on the podcast that prompts you to go and, and do your own investigating. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, I have bought companies, obviously not in New Zealand because I think I'm the only NZX podcast, but I've, I've bought companies overseas that I have discovered on a podcast, but the investing decision wasn't based off the podcast, if that makes sense. Um, and you you may hear something that prompts you to go do your own investigating and, and then you might go buy it, which is absolutely fine. And it's something that I'm I'm conscious of and it is why I've I very rarely give my opinion on a podcast about about a company. And I always do my best to buy do a a, a quick snapshot of, of both sides of the story. So say you've got a I don't know, a, a company that might be quantitatively overvalued, for example. I always try to say, look, it 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 has to grow a lot to fulfil its its value, which may happen. So, how should you make investing decisions if if not by listening to the podcast? What what I recommend to do is actually not listen to anyone. I'm sure listen to people like me speak, and certainly listen to people like Warren Buffett and other. I'm not comparing myself, by the way, and and lots of other great investors and. You know, you got to absorb all that stuff and the theory behind it and everything like that, and read all the great investing books and build your knowledge base and everything like that. But in terms of buying individual stocks, if you're going going out there on your own to pick individual stocks, not handing it over to a professional or an index ETF or anything like that, but you're actually stock picking, then I would say that the best person to listen to is yourself and and not anyone else. Get ideas of people for sure, but make make your own decisions. Um, I don't think personally I'll ever go and ask someone 
what stock should I buy or anything like that. I think you need to take that responsibility for for your own account. Um, and, and, and the best way to actually build up your, your best investing knowledge, I think, is to read annual reports. Um, and the more annual reports you read, the better. Um, it doesn't mean you, you go buy every single stock from every annual report you, you read. But say, for example, you were able to read a... And I mean, even in New Zealand, if you're able to read a couple of annual reports a week, a couple of NZX company annual reports a week, then by the end of the year, you would have read every material company in New Zealand, and you'd have a really good understanding of of the market, and you'd probably be at, you you'd you would have learned a lot. And if you keep on doing that, because every year annual reports are going to get released, then trust me, you'll be way ahead of every. That will be your edge in the market. You'll be way ahead of. 99% of investors, that includes the professional ones as well. Anyway, back to New Zealand oil and gas. Because because they did not get enough of the minority shareholder votes, the the takeover will not move forward to court approval. And basically the company anticipates that the agreement will be determinated and the scheme will not proceed. So I assume that this is unless the, uh, the buyer comes back and increases the price, which from my understanding they said they will not do. So although it, <laughs> it does happen all the time that people increase their price after saying that they're not going to. So it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't though. So they already have most of the shares. They may just wait for a, a cheaper opportunity. As, as we say in business broking, sometimes the first offer is the best offer though. So it'll be interesting to see how this works out for the minority shareholders of NZO. I think as I said on a previous podcast about them, yeah, management hasn't really produced much for the shareholders over a long period of time. So in some ways, I was a little bit surprised to see this not go through. Okay, what else have we got? Let's do main freight. Actually, I'll keep it on the topic of takeovers and we can talk about Abano Healthcare. So I remember talking about them a while back on the podcast and commenting that they have been a very acquisitive company with a lot of goodwill and, and debt on the balance sheet. Um, and that a lot of that, judging from the market cap of those acquisitions, have not been that successful, have not been well integrated or maybe has taken some time. And it looks like someone's seen value here, however. I imagine, or I imagine there is some value somewhere, Um which is perhaps what the bidders are thinking. Anyway, BGH Capital, which is a private equity company in Australia and New Zealand, and the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan Board is is made a bid for the company at $5.70 per share. Ontario Teachers is Canada's largest single profession pension plan with $191 billion in assets, which, well, let's face it, you wouldn't expect them to be involved in a buyout of a dentistry company in New Zealand. You'd almost wonder why they're bothering. The market cap of Abano is you know, close enough to $150 million, and it's not really going to make a dent on $191 billion in assets. So you can't really imagine them having their best people on it. What, what probably actually is the situation is BGH Capital probably just manages some money for Ontario and and Ontario probably has very little to do with it. That's that's my guess. Um, It may also indicate that they might not be finding too much in the way of value closer to home, so they're branching out to see what they can find. So it'll be interesting to see if this goes through. Um, It's clearly just sort of an opportunistic, you know, that it's not... A massive premium to well, it's a it's a decent premium to the recently traded price. It's not a, it's not a premium at all into where the stock has been in in the last in the last couple of years. So it'd be interesting to see if it's something that does get. 
bid it up higher. The stock has gone from something like $10 per share in the middle of last couple of years ago to a takeout price of $5.70. So, you know, we just spoke about the NZO shareholders shooting down their takeover. It'll be interesting to see what comes of this. The Abano directors, they've thrown in the towel. Um, they've, they've recommended that shareholders vote in favour of the scheme. Um, provided the price is with an independent within an independent advisor's range, which let's face it, and I've mentioned this sort of thing in the past, it will be. Um, so watch the space. There's no real dominant shareholders with the Bano. The Forsyth Bar Custodians is the largest shareholder with about fifteen percent of the company, and that's you know no doubt spread across multiple investors. Um, ACC is the second largest holder at six point two seven percent, and you would imagine these sort of holders will just sort of toe the director's line and, and, and go along with the flow. But let's see. Um, okay, so the two stocks we've talked about so far, I, I guess performance-wise, they've been two of the basement dwellers of the NZX, NZO for a long period of time, and Abano for, I guess, the uh, last couple of years at least anyway. So now we'll talk about one of the high flyers, and that's Main Freight. I started talking about them before, but we'll get onto it now. Um, I think they've been one, maybe aside from A2 Milk and Roman Healthcare over a long period of time, I guess the best performing stock on the NZX. I'm not 100% sure on that, but, but they've been right up there. And anyway, they released their half-year results for the year ending September 30th, so only a couple of weeks ago. So revenue was $1.5 billion, up, 60, up, up just up just under $70 million or 4.9% in the prior reporting period, and net profit after tax was $62.2 million, up $6.51 million or or 11.7%. So basically, the bottom line's growing faster than the top line, so there's some operating leverage there. Main Freight likes to talk about EBITDA as well, and adjusted this and adjusted that. I, I, I Apart from the exchange rates, I, I do tend to ignore that with Main Freight. Um, the reason being is you look at their cash flow statement and there's a lot of capital expenditures every year. So the company described this as a satisfactory result and discuss slowing economic conditions and increased overheads. So they have an interim dividend of 25 cents per share, which is an increase of 13.6% on the prior year. So interestingly enough there that the dividend is, you know, you've got, you got net profit growing faster than revenue, but you've got the dividend growing faster than net profit. It doesn't make for a fantastic yield, but part of Main Freight's, I guess, success story is a stock is that they've been able to consistently increase dividends over a long period of time. So while the yield may not be fantastic now, it wasn't fantastic 10 years ago either, but the the dividend they pay out, your yield on cost if you bought 10 years ago, I imagine, is, is quite satisfactory. Um, and yield on cost is an interesting metric sometimes I like to look at when you look at these companies with the low dividend yield. So I guess the question is now is if you're, buying it now and you're holding for 10 years is your yield on cost in 10 years time going to be quite low let's you know it'll be interesting to see and occasionally with these sorts of you know companies that can increase it you know if you look at like what's a good example one of the real dividend increases in the united states say johnson and johnson in the united states which which has increased its dividend every year for something like 60 years if you go back to i don't know 60 years ago you're probably getting per quarter and dividends more than what you paid for the stock. So those sorts of crazy things can happen over a long period of time of, of compounding at you know, 10 to 20% a year as eventually you can be getting more dividends than what you paid in the stock. And I'm not sure what, what Ryman Healthcare listed there, but I think 
you'd bought them in 1999, I imagine your your yield on cost would be would be getting right on up there now in terms of the different increases they've been they've been able to do. And and actually, I don't know why I'm talking about Roman healthcare. It's probably the case with with main freight. Um, anyway, that they gave a bit of a mixed the mixed a mixed outlook. I always like the the main freight reports. They seem to be quite straight up in in, in their comments and. I guess the tone of the report, I'll describe it somewhere between optimistic but also cautious. So it'll be interesting to see what what happens. It's clear that they're facing some sort of, I guess, the macro headwinds in, in, some, in, in, in some of their markets. The New Zealand and Australia ones appear to be strong, though, just from, just from the numbers. I don't have a good record with main freight. I have owned it on and off for a brief period of time. Um, but my biggest stuff up was turning my nose to it at ten dollars per share. Now it is looking down for me at the great height of forty two dollars per share and <laughs> and laughing. So there you go. Okay, let's move on from that from that success story. Sanford is is a company. I I, I don't know if I talked about it in the past or not. I, I may have done. I've may have mentioned it, but I have to confess I, I don't know a whole heap about them. Obviously, they're involved in fisheries, and except to say that they're probably one of the they're an extremely old company and one of the oldest listed companies on the NZX. My direct broken screen says that they were listed in 1960, but I know they've been around for a heap longer than that. Um, so catch and harvest volumes, they're down 4% on the prior reporting year. Interestingly, that revenue has increased to $545 million. So, And we'll talk about that more. What, what that indicates to you is that basically they're able to sell less for more. And quite quite a big difference more as well. So that's interesting. Um, they haven't been as profitable on it though. Um, it was a, a gross profit decreased by six percent. Um, net profit after tax um, was around the same as as last year. Um, for the financial year ending thirty September, it was forty one point seven million compared to forty two point three in the prior year. So around about the same. The company said the result did not meet original expectations it was a good outcome following a difficult year and certainly confirms that Sanford has adopted the right strategy for challenging times is what they've said a tough sort of company to make how would I say I think long-term predictions in this space would be easier to make than short-term predictions um it the reason I say that is because so much can happen in the short term that you're not expecting with this sort of business when you've got things like the weather and you've got all, all sorts of variables that go into the calculation that making short-term predictions can be quite difficult. However, I reckon making long-term predictions would be a lot easier. It might be different to a company, say, like, I don't know, Pushpay, where making a short-term prediction on what's going to happen next year because it's a recurring subscription business or payments business or whatever it might be. Making a short-term prediction is probably easier than making a long-term prediction on how the space will look like in the future. Whereas I reckon um, it's a completely different case for Sanford. Um They've come out, and there's an interesting quote here. They said, climate change is the number one risk we face as a business. We see the consequences of warmer waters and adverse weather conditions playing out in the oceans and on our bottom line. In this situation, it is important for Sanford to be doing the right thing on the water to ensure we fish sustainably and also to be vigilant and agile so that we're best placed to manage these changes. Our strategy is to mitigate this risk through investing in innovation across the business and bringing our customer focus to life at the same time 
is clearly bearing fruit. Achieving significant top-line growth with reduced volume strongly aligns with our strategy direction. Which basically means that you're going to be paying more for salmon um, or other fish and everything like that. So they're, they're saying that they are happy to reduce volumes but charge more for their product. It'll be interesting to see how long, I guess, what the what the breaking point for that is. So at what point does the consumer say, no, I'm not eating fish now because it's got way more expensive. Um, I imagine there is a reasonable amount of pricing power there with, with Sanford. I reckon they can probably increase their prices for a decent period of time um, and still and still reduce volumes, if that makes sense. But obviously there'll be a point where people... And are no longer prepared to, to 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 run with it. Anyway, that's about all we have time for again today. I hope you've enjoyed the another Saturday morning podcast. It might be something that we do more of. Come into Calamero this weekend and and have a chat to me about stocks. I'll give you a discount. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. A reminder: nothing that I said today should be considered financial advice. Um, find out more about the podcast www.stockmarketmovers.co.nz or come in and see me at Calamero and have a chat. Like us on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. I don't tweet much, but I, I am on it. If you want to email me, it is jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz. Once again, my name is Jeremy Medlin, and this has been episode, what episode is it? Episode 66 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Sorry about that stuff if you're still listening. For Saturday, the 16th of November, 2019. We'll see you all again next week.